of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 395. Jason Lingren is with me and Mr. James True is back. We're going to have an interesting conversation. We're going to touch on Bitcoin, blockchain, but that's not necessarily what's going to make this interesting. I think James and I have, in some cases, opposing views, which is a good thing. And uh, everybody out there knows how I feel about Bitcoin. I've made it perfectly clear. And also, we've reached out to some experts in blockchain uh, that we hope to have on before too, too long. I don't think it's coming immediately, uh, who can demonstrate ways that it's already been used in the world to try to lay down a fair view or what I consider a fair view. But with that in mind, uh, welcome, Jason. And a beautiful good morning. And it's good to have you back, James. How have you been holding up? Just fine, Crow. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for thanks for having me back, guys. Good to see you. All right. Um, I like, you know, we got some very brief bullet points and Rose had done a few topics and we landed on the idea of the just so-called digital currency that's coming. Um, I like the first bullet point because I like the way you wrote it. It says every blockchain is ahead of a Hydra that holds a library of interconnected contracts. And that is one loaded sentence because it goes from kind of spiritual mythical ideas that represent facets of our world all the way over to the material contracts that are quite materialistic in their delivery. But why don't we pick up there, James? Where would you like to start? Uh, I first got this idea over the idea of the pithos. The uh, Oracle of Delphi was suspended above a crack in the earth and that below the earth was this giant uh, dying python that knew everything in the world. And Apollo came and chopped its head off and and deleted it. And, and when I thought about that, I was like, geez, that sounds like blockchain and an EMP, right? So like the Apollo sun would like erase all the silicon or electromagnetic storage that we have on all of our computers. And that the dying parts of it would be this uh, living pithos, pythia, this living chain. And I really started to understand or to look at mythology to say, well, how would you even survive the story of blockchain at the next reset? And it would probably have to fit into the animal kingdom in some way. And Snake really, really makes a lot of sense to that. And when you look at blockchain, uh, specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum, these are two very unique chains. You really are seeing a very unique head of the same creature. It's very much like the Revelations uh, story of the serpent Ophis, um, which I think might actually be Ophiuchus, this new constellation that we found. The the point is, is that these snakes are connected to the same hydra, but they're very unique and different. Ethereum is more of a blue head. It has uh, intelligence to all the contracts that are built into the Ethereum blockchain are dependent on each other, and they have uh, math built into them. When you touch one contract, it can touch seven other contracts and initiate them. While Bitcoin is more of a solid uh, platonic kind of a chain where it's just made up of gold, it's just simply value per value per value. So what I see is two different heads of this same hydra that have very different characteristics, one being gold and one being more electric. And it's just hard not to miss how that sounds like the Pythia and how anyone that could access that chain would be able to access the oracle of understanding simply because the snake itself is made up of a relationship of contract upon contract upon contract upon contract. So it's just hard, hard to miss that, that portion of it. I think one of the major differences in the analogy that you're drawing, and I like it, is that the Oracle at Delphi, uh, that was pretty much a one-on-one interchange. Uh, What we're describing now is a permanent record. Um, It's even implied in the name blockchain. And words have meaning. Block, that's going to be the angles of sorrow, 90 degrees. And everybody knows what a chain is. We could take that a step further and look at the word that represents the overall idea of the hydra you're describing. It's crypto, the crypt. Um, these words have meaning, and it's not like someone came along and you know decided to name it happy, funny marshmallow clouds. Uh, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, uh, it's a big change from where we are because the idea of privacy has been slipping away from us, um, the individuality. And I think that's really where you're talking about the golden links and and you know the Python, that chain all connected. 
it really does get to a point where everything done is recorded and it's recorded for good. And I see real problems with that being controlled by the wrong set of hands. Right. I think that the word crypto itself is actually a good word because it's Pythagorean. The uh, Pythagoras himself, I believe, would be uh, the essence of crypto because it really is the ability to create a shield around something that belongs to you and protect it. it this is the essence of a secret. And most secret societies, especially Pythagoras is one of, one of the more famous ones, uh, require this secrecy in order for the group to not be uh, murdered, <laughs> persecuted, driven through the streets or whatever else. And so as dangerous as it sounds for us to picture uh, an enemy of ours utilizing things like blocks and chains against us, um, our family DNA is a chain. Our castle that we build to, to withstand that attack is made out of blocks. Uh, a public record, a public ledger, where every single transaction is written down, could also be seen as, as light, as, as pushing forward on exposure where everything is known versus everything is hidden too. So the, to me, it, it comes back to this analogy of how we felt about electricity, that when electricity uh, was brought onto the field, uh, we saw the terrifying effects of what it could do to elephants and we also have seen how it's helped uh, rebel revolutionaries say no to their government and create their own systems as well. So it's a tool that has a lot of dangers to it and will cause a lot of harm. And it's a tool that has a lot of benefits to it that will cause a lot of advancements as well. So I think this analogy that you use with electricity is a perfect one because way beyond where we are now, seemingly when people have fallen by the wayside and the ones that are going to make it go into the next era, I can imagine that they will not have a meter on their wall to pay for power for electricity. They'll just go out somewhere and they'll make it. But the problem is, is look at all the time that we've had electricity and we've all been forced to be metered and pay for a thing called power. So we didn't get any power unless we paid for it. And I think crypto, I mean, that's a good analogy. But the other side of that is far in front of us. And what we've gone through so far has so many deadfalls and unpleasant memories. Um, I don't think that can be overlooked. But I took a moment while you were speaking to look up the etymology of the word crypto. Uh, the basic top level meaning is secret or hidden, uh, not evident or obvious. Now, when you add the vowel on the end of it, it becomes not only a vault, but more like a a a cavern or a cave. Um, and these words, to me, when I go back to the original meanings and the etymology of them, I think that's a solid foundation uh, for starting. So there are basic rules of thumb in life that I use to get started on any given idea that I'm trying to evaluate one way or the other. And what I have had to do is usually these ideas like crypto, blockchain. These are big, big ideas. There's so much to know. How do you simplify it enough to get a starting point? What I have developed for myself is words have meaning. Now, I see the intent in those words that I have taken apart. And things like block, we've covered from a spiritual aspect, where those are 90-degree angles called the angles of sorrow. Everybody knows what a chain is. They have their all own idea of that. But the crypt, um, you can get further into myth and you can almost always find usages of the crypt that do not seem dark, yet the foundation is this hidden, controlled, vault-like place. And if I had to be honest, um, I think the third third meaning in uh, is the idea of a vault. Again, when you add the, the O, the vowel on the end, it becomes a dark place like a cave. And that's where the, the vault idea comes in. But sorry, just everyone listening, I, I had to take a, a five-minute break. So that's why it seemed a little disjointed just now. So what would you add to that, James? I'd say that uh, I think the essence of what makes man a man is his ability to keep secrets from his king. And that throughout history, throughout history, what has allowed you to forge who you are is the privacy that you have about what's inside you. And so when I think of crypt, I really, that's why I go to Pythagoras, because I think that people learn to keep secrets as much as they learn to bury money in their yard so no one could come and take it. And that the reason why no one was able to take it was because it was encrypted 
where that money was kept and that there was a code that only others who cared or loved or were trusted by this person could share to know how to find uh, that kind of treasure. So I think at the very heart of identity itself is encryption and that without encryption, I don't think man would be able to be uh, a sovereign being that actually uses chains to liberate himself, that had it not been for the concept of chain, the uh, rising of where we are now, the whole idea of Columbia itself would have been impossible. So all of these things that, that have dark sides intrinsically would have to have empowering sides too, because we're really just looking at the leverage and torque of mythology itself and these archetypal uh, technologies that we have at our disposal. I, I, I mean, it's an interesting take. I think, I think we disagree on a couple points, but I'll go back to your idea of secrets and connect it to the blockchain. When we get to a point, if we get to a point, I think we certainly will, where digital currency is everywhere and the blockchain is brought into full swing, uh, what you're going to have is a record of everything, everything. Uh, it's going to record where you are, what you did, what you bought, how much it cost. It's going to have your internet passport ID. It's going to have all these things. So the idea of secrets becomes flipped on its head because what happens is that becomes the information of those who own and control the blockchain. And what makes that even a little more of a sticky wicket is who owns the things that the blockchain will operate on. Who owns the server? Who owns the internet superhighway? Um, it's the same players that most of us complain about these days. Now, one thing you did say that I love is you're right. The, the, the ingenious nature of a man or a woman, that's what counts, right? We figure out ways to claim back things that we've lost and to keep those secrets. But from my point of view, the blockchain, the crypto, all of that, there, there is no secrecy. I mean, I suppose you can argue what's in my mind, at least at this point, is secret to me to some degree. I don't know how long that's going to be true. But the rest of it, I search and I search for a positive connotation. And actually, I'll get Jason in here. Jason, you and I did a show maybe a year ago, uh, the white paper from the Federal Reserve about the digital dollar. And some of the things that we covered there, and I'll let Jason jump in, it's shocking. The inability to have a savings account is one of the intentions for the digital dollar. The inability of a father or mother to, to inherit their wealth down to their children is written into the digital dollar. Do you remember any of the other things that were kind of make you take pause, Jason? Well, it was all about centralized control. It was about them knowing every single transaction you do Every place. And if everything is on a single blockchain that the government is controlling or has access to, I, I, that I have a problem with. Now, let, we could use a, a current situation right now to point out how this can be a problem. The Ukrainian people appealed to Apple. Apple, in response, said, okay, we'll help. So Russians can no longer pay for things like Netflix and Spotify and all that with bank cards, and they can't use Apple Pay or Google Pay to, to access anything. So Perfect example. Yeah, Freaking so it's like... Perfect example. Who can turn it on and turn it off? Well, I certainly don't want a bunch of uh, politicians having access to that. Which, I mean, let's, let's ask the simple question. We have a foundation for technology. Uh, how much control of that do the people have? When censorship came to bear, I think it became pretty evident that the old ideas of freedom of speech had been subverted and that it was major corporations, multinationals, who truly held the keys to all the gates. But I'm going to say a thing because I know James has a different point of view, which is a good thing. Um, I've said over and over, James, that when we move to digital currency, we will have agreed that money per se no longer equals wealth. And I have a sense that you don't agree with that. Well, actually, I, I was more just looking at how you how you would expand on that. I I think what's happening is is that uh, man has risen out of a more solid state and has more become more sovereign, and by doing that, he's noticed something very fundamental that uh, there is something valuable in things that are intangible, 
And uh, as we discover art, as we discover music, as we discover uh, the power of crypto and digital technology, we are learning that uh, value itself, witness itself can be transmitted through the air in an Aquarian way. And that that in, in and of itself is value. It is, uh, it is in many cases, even more valuable. Method is what you're pointing out. I'd say method, but maybe even more, it's more about the uh, movement from the material into mm. uh, something more abstract, something more Aquarian. Again, the Aquarian is the bearing of water. It's not necessarily water. It's showing the flow of something. And we already value witness more than money right now anyway. Fame is a very different kind of wealth than monetary wealth is. Attention is a very different kind of wealth than monetary wealth is. So we've already seen that there are these three different hydra heads that exist in our spiritual energy with each other. One is based on gold. It's more solid. It's more like Bitcoin. But another is more based on Ethereum. It's more based on where's the attention going? Where does it not go? Where does it move? So we are simply just learning to become more uh, spiritually connected to our environment. And that requires us to tap into technologies that cannot be touched, but are clearly, clearly, obviously there. I, I love where you took it. The sun is shining. If you choose to see the sun is shining. And I don't think there's any questioning that these are Aquarian ideas, right? I pull over, pull a dollar out of my pocket in one era. And in the air era, I don't even have a pocket. Um, and the bill gets paid literally through the air. So I think there's no doubting this, but this brings to mind one of the things we covered in a recent episode that was uh, so much of it was tenuous. It was a legal episode and we covered it because we thought we should, but there were so many tenuous ideas that people need to be careful with. But underneath all that, there was a foundational throwback example given to I don't even remember. I think it was common law, might not be, but it was certainly drawn from uh, a legal time or a lawmaking time when uh, the rights of a man or a woman were clearly more important before all the nonsense gets piled on. And this was it. To this day, we were told if you pay for a thing with gold or silver, that's it. It's a done deal. You own it. And I think that is the foundational example from where we were how quickly we were shifted away from that. And I think the movement into digital currencies is going to complete that loop, completely severed from the idea that you can own anything. Well, I definitely think that that CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, are absolutely 1,000% designed to allow sheep who are terrified about what's happening to enter into a sort of digital cage and never have to worry about leaving. And that smart cities is a very much a Jungian uh, projection that many of us have because we are already so uncomfortable having to stand on something more than our knees. The rise of slavery is a difficult task for many for many people to conquer. And through the ages, uh, there's always this rapture that's happening. There's always this reaping that's happening between those who, who can discern and those who can't. Um, we could talk about how terrible it is, but we really have to talk about how terrible it is that the lion is taking down the gazelle or that the process itself is unfolding in nature because these things are just real. It's just how our environment works. Now, I don't want to convince any of your listeners that digital currency is safe. It would be the same if I was to say electricity is safe. I don't want anyone to, to ever think electricity is safe, but I do want maybe some of you to hear this one little thing, which is that there are people that, that know how to write software, that write in open source code, and that they are working and have developed systems where in order for me to go buy a pack of gum inside a store, that I call up this magic button on my phone and instantly 12 strangers converge on me and instead of me actually giving the cashier my money for that pack of gum, that there is this shell game where all 12 of us now um, give the cashier the same amount of money for the gum. This is actually all true. And that only at the end, 11 of those people are removed from the transaction in a random way. This is called Monero. It's just one type of technology where people 
more like sovereign people who do not trust this entire system have developed a way of exchanging information that is untrackable. Does that mean that someone will come and hack it later? Of course it means that. But that's how all technologies work. You get better at your technology and the bad man, which in this case is probably the feds, is going to figure out a way to track that. And you improve your system, they improve their system over and over again. So I think that the Wild West uh, is always open and that this digital currency realm that we're seeing has some certain prairie pitfalls in it, absolutely, especially with uh, CBDCs. But at the same time, you're watching this underground technology that's being thwarted, being removed from other platforms, but is still thriving. Monero has been kicked out of more countries than you could throw a stick at, and it keeps growing. Why? Because people like me, people who understand the power of electricity are like, holy crap, I really like what Monero is doing right here. And that's just one of many. There's several of these different kind of uh, privacy chains that are running right now. So it's not all pretty. But it's not all bad either. So to me, it's a matter of degrees, James. There's a difference, a big difference between one degree and 300 degrees. And Jason just whipped out the 50-pound sledge a moment ago, and he hit the iron spike firmly on the head. And here is the problem. We're not even really, per se, in the age of crypto yet. We still have all these options, though many of those options are to pay digitally. And he's pointed out that this one place, those guys are the bad guys now. They can't use our systems. And so this is why it's a matter of degrees. I'm sure there's a whole hacker community that has all these secret ways that people aren't even aware of to subvert the system and trade in a way they want to trade. But the problem is this. What good is it doing Russia right now? Um, And by proxy, when you see something like a central bank, you should know what you're dealing with. Have we ever seen a time in history when the central bank tolerated competition? Uh, I even go so far as to say people like to argue and they want to talk about Nazis and Hitlers and World War II. And I say the only thing you need to know about World War II is there was no central bank before and there was a central bank in Germany after. And if we look at what the central banks control, which is basically most everything in the world, because even now, let's use this example. If the central banks had decided they didn't want a war, if it's whatever you want to call it, the conflict going on in the Ukraine, uh, who would have paid for it? No, nobody is sitting on enough money that they're going to pay for an all out troop movement and everything that goes with it. So the banks have always played a role in that. My point being is clearly the banks saw an opportunity to make money because their first rule is they're adverse to risk and they must make a profit and it can't be risky profit. So what they've done is they've allowed this to happen. And that tells you about the foundation of everything that will go forward in our world. If central banking is the main concern, all they need to do is make a law that says, guess what? Every kind of crypto is outlawed. Will it stop it? No, it won't. But for the majority of people, they don't want to break the law. And so again, it comes back to degrees. And what I see is an edifice that has established itself in our world right now that is driving nearly everything. But what's worse is all these little avenues and on-ramps to the freeway that we all have to use, they control them. And so to me, it's not really a question of are the people untrustable or do they have bad intent in their heart? To me, it's about who's controlling this and what do we have to do to use it? That's the way I would break it down. What do you think? Well, I I think for sure that the best thing that could have happened to Monero is this SWIFT thing where they kicked Russia off the SWIFT. So now you can't process transactions because the entire time, the only way that you could ever exchange value with someone in Russia is, is through Monero and that there would be physically no way of stopping that. Because when you really boil down what what crypto is, crypto is never one thing. It's not one currency. It's really the barter system. And that's why eggs are crypto. They're eggs because they're crypto because I, I think that my eggs are valuable and someone else thinks my eggs are valuable and we can exchange those. Even though the egg itself is not tradable on the market. Now, if you only had one or two things like eggs, if you had like eggs and hay and and gold and that was it, you still have a centralized currency. But here's the thing. We're dealing with witness and attention now. And as witness and attention uh, thrive and grow, you find that there's just an infinite 
possible number of currencies. And when you have an infinite number of currencies that can be literally uh, birthed in a matter of seconds with a push of a button and then destroyed right after that transaction is over, government has no choice but to move their uh, control structures structures from time timeshare cropping, which is taxation, into resource constriction. And that's why they moved into the environmental movement. That's why they've moved into the scientism movement, because the only way that they're going to be able, they know the only way they're going to be able to control things from the future is going to be through the constriction of energy. It's not going to work to do it the old way, which is why I think the whole digital currency thing had to unwrap the way the way it did. People will be running to CBDCs, but those same people, they're the Zionists that are like, we need to go kill more people. We need to go to war. We need to cut more genitals. We need to stick more people with vaccines. Those are the people that are going to love this CBDCs. That dollar has been crypto for since 1988. I would say that actually your dollar has been crypto. It's got the serial number on it. The transactions are there. It's traced through every bank, through every ATM purchase. So even what we're worrying about, it's already been here for a long time. No, it's the it's the final cut. It's the final cut when that object in your hand called a dollar or a coin is no longer existent, then there is no connection to objective reality anymore. But it it occurs to me, and I know Jason will like this one. Uh, we've been shown the truth of what's about to happen uh, because our minds are usually swayed by movies and entertainment. So the way that it works is a movie shows you a thing that the first time you see it, it's shocking. But then 10 other TV shows and songs and everything do it over and over. It's no longer shocking. Now, the shocking thing is now commonplace. And then guess what? One night, the evening news tells you this shocking thing that used to be shocking happened in the real world. Uh, And an example of that is Rick and Morty, which rose to prominence and therefore importance in the world mind because more minds will watch it. Uh, They showed an example of a world with crypto when aliens had taken over and Rick told his grandchildren, well, I'll take care of these guys. And they said, what are you going to do, Rick? You're going to nuke them. You're going to, you know, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to take a one and I'm going to turn it into a zero. And he went click, click on the keyboard. The one became a zero and the entirety of the invading empire fell instantly. And I think this is a prime example of what we're talking about. Because if I had gold coins in my pocket, nobody can magically turn that into nothing. It is what it is. And I guess you could argue that someone could come along and say, well, we don't value gold anymore and work at doing that. But the point is, we have a track record back through time where pretty much gold has always had an intrinsic value. It is a thing that you can hold in your hand. And for me, that is the crux of the separation to imagining that there are ones and zeros in this digital device of which I have no control. And basically, we're just agreeing that we're going to supposedly hand these back and forth. And when I say supposedly, it's because all we see is an email or something saying, yep, this happened. We have no way to actually verify what's happened anywhere. And then there's the blockchain. And we already know what the blockchain does. It remembers everything forever, basically. Well, it's a ledger. Yeah, it's a written checkbook. It doesn't actually say anyone's name on there. And so you have to put the extra work in there to actually identify the ledgers with people itself. You're looking at a hash record is what it is, where if the entire world had to operate on the same open checkbook because they agreed to exchange eggs or to use the same kind of uh, a value system that they think. You know, I, I write books and, and I write a book and I, someone sends me silver in the mail and I send them that book. And I think this is a prime example of what I mean, that there will come a day where we will be sovereign, where uh, currency itself is more based on who we are and what our witness is, not based on what someone with a petrodollar gun told us. This is money now. This is money now. And I think that it's hard to look at crypto uh, without thinking in that centralized, there can be only one quickening kind of way. But when you really unwrap what crypto is doing and how it's functioning right now, you're you're kind of blown away because you're realizing, wait a minute, <laughs> the entire country of Indonesia is running off digital cloud credits that they were that they were bequeathed to each other in a video game. That is uh, another prime example of how this other kind of currency was able to thwart an entire government 
because it happens so fast. That's just one of many examples. And I'm not saying that's a good example, by the way, Crow. I am not here to tell people that crypto is going to save your life. I, I think the only way out of this situation is to become as sovereign as you possibly can. And some people who are not as uh, outside the technology world who value encryption and see that as a source of their own freedom are going to find that, hey, I can trade digital eggs with Russia and we're going to invent our own coin called the Rupidopio. And that's what we choose to trade. That, that, that really is thwarting every other system. It's kind of like going solar, creating your own energy grid, even though electricity is out there. So the corollaries are here. It's just a matter of finding out uh, how we survive this transition. And more importantly, how much we as individual sovereign people embrace, embrace the kinds of technology that serves us versus kind of like fearing the, the technologies that's going to crush us. It's easy to look at what's going to crush us. It's much harder to say, what, is, what, what about this electricity is going to serve us and to act accordingly to that? Well, I guess I agree with the long view, James. We all know or we all expect where this so-called air age is going, um, and it's a long ways from us. Right, uh, yeah. I, I guess the difference, the main difference between, I think, your view and mine is that for now, I'm zeroing in on what's immediately just happened and what's happening or about to happen in this small little window. Uh, if I blew out my view to you know, however long century or two or three from now, yeah, you're going to see people with capabilities that would seem magical to us now. And at that point, uh, the ingenuity of a living being will certainly do these things. But in the short run, look at what's behind us right now to our grandparents, since most of us don't have to imagine or take someone's word a hundred percent about what that period of time was. What we have seen is control. What we have seen uh, are new lives turned into capital, turned into merchandise, chattel. Um, what we've seen is this implemented so that the majority of people never even knew. And now that we're in that phase that you're pointing out, we're waking up, we're coming into an air age, we're lifting. And ho holy crap, you're telling me my birth certificate, you know, and, and there's, a, there's an account that I generate money for and, and all these things are coming into view. The problem is that right now, the, the same players that put that fence around most of the world are building the yard that we're about to play in. And to me, that is the problem. And if I had to venture a guess, it will also make it more difficult uh, to get through to that other time where we've lifted away. But to be fair, I think that in the short run, there's going to be a lot of hell to pay. And short of an act of God or people waking up at a level that we're just not aware of because we don't control the news, uh, I don't think there's any way around um, the valley of the shadow of death that we're about to trudge through right now. And the difference between what I'm saying and what you're saying is you're looking beyond the valley. Uh, I'm watching as we go into it, I think. Well, I, and I, I really appreciate even just the different, the different vistas and apertures we have about it. I will say that I think that you could look a lot, you could see things a lot different if you understood that our grandparents from the times of Rome, from the Civil War, from the Revolutionary War, from World War, to, World War I to World War II, we really did emerge out of family trees that just basically needed slavery in order to survive. Most of America was founded on, we don't even call them slaves, we call them indentured servants, but it was people that were like, dude, what do I have to do to get some shoes? I, I will gladly call you master for seven years if, if you can give me some shoes. In Rome, half that city was built on this upward mobility slavery system. So if we could take the tinge out of slavery, meaning that if we were to stop looking at it as something that was done to us, and look at it more as a primordial requirement for us to learn how to walk, that as we raised ourselves up off our knees, we were actually looking for a state that would enslave us because it gave us an identity, something which we didn't used to have. Back when, back when names were given out to people, you, maybe you had a first name, maybe, and then your last name was sort of like what work you were have been bred or genetically taught to do right like farmer or <laughs> or military person or whatever even the assigning of a social security number is in a way giving someone accountability 
something that only rich people used to have, is that, well, I have a reputation now. And now everyone in the country has this social credit system called a social security number that made them keep this watch over something called their own reputation, their own sense of heritage. I believe those things that, that actually had to emerge out of the psyche of man, moving us from this ape-like mind. I'm not suggesting evolution. I'm just saying this more reptilian thinking into something more illuminated, something more evolved that has this intangible quality of identity, this intangible quality of pride, of reputation, of heritage, right? None of those things you can touch, but they're things that are very real that have value. So this is getting us closer to manifesting the holistic nature of who we are as electric beings. I guess we could argue anywhere that um, you typically go through a storm to get to beautiful weather. Yeah. One of the problems I see is that if you go back to the slave idea, it's not everyone. It's not like God said, okay, all you people, you have to go through this time called slavery because it's not everyone. It's not even close to everyone. And the way that it's implemented is it of the whim of some organization or person. And when you get up to the the social reputation that we already know is being implemented, who's defining what a reputation is? And these are the problems. Because right now, if I look in the world and I see hospitals doing what they are, that's the lowest, most unvaluable reputation I could imagine. And yet the system is telling you that this is the best reputation you can have. And so while I could focus centuries in in the front and try to imagine when we've pulled through all this, what I actually see is injustice and all the systems that have worked up around us. And it's not just injustice for a few of us or half of us anymore. I have neighbors in my neighborhood that held some of the highest jobs in the country, CEOs of some of the biggest places. They got inoculated. And there's the changeover. And so my problem is by asking, why do we always have to do the wrong thing? Because the powers that be say that that's the reputation we all need to have. And so I guess that's where my problem comes in. And and I don't even want to challenge that. I, I really do. I think that when Caesar brought back a million slaves from Gaul, that he didn't have to force them to do that. That there really was just a, uh, his psyoptic bubble, his, his belief was that you guys would be better served by coming to Rome as my slaves and being inside my patriarchy. And that one million people were like, I will take that deal. When people were entering into slavery in Rome, it was actually something they were proud of. They, they had a chance now. They had an opportunity in the city. They, they had an inn somewhere. And that exact same thing was happening here in the West. And more importantly, in the South, you know, one third of the Seminole was black. Half of the Cherokee were white and that it had the same kind of initiation ceremonies uh, as, as any kind of apprentice. We've taken this whole apprentice relationship and tainted it with our self-hatred of slavery. And we've really ruined, I think, what, what, what's a really good thing. The point of reality in government is not to give you justice. The point of government is to create a big enough psyop where every single person can fit inside that bubble. And so the conspiracies, the lies, the realizations that the bankers aren't the good guys or that the soldiers maybe are the evacuated ones, these are special pollen that only a few of us find and that that actually is good. It's good because it allows us to find each other as illuminated beings, as people that understand, well, the news is actually a propaganda machine, and it's used as a glue to hold the society together. It's not even necessarily bent on destruction as much as it's bent on cohesion, right? These are different goals. And so as we evolve as a culture, really what media is, is just the reflection of our archetypal abandonment. It's a Jungian clue telling us what our fetishes are <laughs> because we're, we're watching what we broadcast onto government itself to act out on our behalf, so to speak. 
just a different way of looking at it though. I, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just, this is, it, it just is what I but, see. You know, that's another thing we could take by inches. Uh, if I went ahead and showed people in the fifties, what we're watching on television media today, there'd have been hell to pay and it never would have come to pass. So even these things are strategically implemented by the right. idea of people hacking the human mind, which is like saying, guess what? We're all playing poker, uh, but you don't get any chips, but we're playing poker. By the way, you don't even get a hand and everything that's in your pot, you already have, and we're going to take it from you if you lose. It's about like that. But one of the things about media is some of us have become very adept at being able to realize which direction we're going in. I mentioned quite frequently a movie, I think we're alone now, with the small person, Peter Dinklage, that came to be in 2018. And I will say openly, any movie you see just prior to 2020, by about 10 years, where any face covering is using, what you're seeing is the inching forward to get covered faces to seem more acceptable when the time comes. So, Jason, I wanted to ask you, because you're you're much more aware of what's going on in popular media than I am. I use the Rick and Morty example, but do you see other things that relate directly to Bitcoin in the way that I showed Rick and Morty showed you? This can end in a second if the wrong person gets over to the keyboard. Uh, are you aware of any other things that point in that direction? Because the movie I just pointed out is a precursor on where they want it to go. They want a day that will be a Tuesday, midday, when everyone wakes up and their neighborhood is empty. But can you think of other examples, Jason? Well, I could think of the fact that more and more we're seeing things like Bitcoin exchanges showing up in malls and things like that. The normalization of the concept is certainly well on its way. There, there actually is another example. I forgot you and I talked about it before we came on the air. There's, yeah. uh, there's South American places, and I don't know. It feels like Guatemala or where the living men and women look more like they have Indian ancestry, where they're putting a freaking Bitcoin ATM in this village that doesn't even have running water. And there were some uprisings because people were saying, hey, man, you cut our health care, you cut all these things, and now you're expecting the people to pay so many millions to put in Bitcoin. We don't want Bitcoin. And of course, you got your token white guy down there lauding all the benefits of Bitcoin, and you can see what's going on. First of all, if I went into those communities, how many cell phones would be there? The digital fence that's going to follow requires cell phones period, at least in the short run. And so why wouldn't you see a city like San Diego, where there's actually so-called civilization with phones ready to use Bitcoin? Where's the big Bitcoin infrastructure push for there? Why isn't the city government saying, we need to set aside $10 million to put Bitcoin infrastructure? What are they doing in Guatemala? And this further underscores what in fact is happening. And so to me, James, we can see how it relates to the ages. We can relate it back to myth. We can imagine where this age is supposed to take us to, to heights that we can't even imagine now, probably. The problem is we got to walk through the valley right now. And so for me, that's where I spend most of my energy because I always imagine like if 90% of people thought like you do, I think a lot of this that we're talking about would matter less. And I think you and I can agree What's the linchpin? What's the linchpin of everything we're talking about? I'll give it a word. Two words, goods and services, right? Isn't that really what we're talking about? James, you know, we can also mention while Crow had to take a break for a moment earlier, we were talking about how they've been pushing the chipsets over to mobile as opposed to having them freely mm -hmm. available with power in these computers. I guess it's possible that if they really wanted to throttle us from being able to do anything, they could just keep limiting us more and more so that we couldn't do computations for the blockchain and be more reliant on big companies that only have those chipsets. It's a good point. Well, so this might be just burns too much to even here. And if you have to stop me in the middle, that's cool. I just want you to picture one little thing, though. CBDC, centralized digital currency, the push for a one world currency, is one group and that another group is Bitcoin and that the group that's pushing Bitcoin actually saw that central bank digital currencies were coming and these people were like holy fuck that is awful <laughs> they want to centralize all the currency and have it all run through the same nodes so investigative committees can come in and, and, and uh, negotiate or cut off transactions or even reverse transactions and so Bitcoin was actually introduced as a rebel front to what 
uh, digital currency is actually doing. And it has in it some very, very clean uh, ways that make it very, very hard to centralize. Not only very hard, but by the time it, it, it was able to be centralized, all these other pirate chains that I was mentioning earlier would be much more fully established, kind of like where Monero is now. The country of El Salvador is being saved because of Bitcoin. The country of Tonga is being saved because of Bitcoin. Saved from what? Saved from the inflation of a former state-run bank that was trying to say, we are the currency now. We are the currency now. But those are temporary things to be saved from because inflation doesn't last forever. They're selling bonds like any other country would. American bonds that last for 50, 60 years, you can buy uh, Bitcoin bonds for El Salvador and basically refund the country. And, and the people that are seeing these Bitcoin machines in third world countries, but not in America, the reason why is because the moment you put a non-trackable machine in that allows you to buy Bitcoin in America is the moment that the central bank digital currency thing falls away because there's no way to track it to the individual right now. That's why these companies are doing so well in third world countries with these machines, because the third world country hasn't caught on yet that, whoa, 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 <laughs> you guys are going to take over our currency. That's why Diamond, that's why JP Morgan, that's why all of these financiers have been saying over and over again, Bitcoin's a scam, Bitcoin's a scam, Bitcoin's a scam. And the whole time they're like, CBDCs are the way to go. CBDCs are the way to go. So it's easy to say the technology is evil. But it takes a more discerning eye to say the technology is electricity and you have conglomerates that are working to to put everyone on the same grid. And you have these Tesla figures that are trying to save the world by offering new technologies that you can tap into. The tech is not electricity, though. That's that's not accurate. That's like saying a car is gasoline. But there's many cars that aren't gasoline. So, no, it's not like that. The technology of, of electricity is the same as the technology of blockchain because you're physically moving current from one place to another and everyone is on this network that can either choose to take that current or choose to send their own current or choose to exchange that current in any other way possible. It's a grid. I guess I would argue that electricity is not the technology. That's like saying the freeway is the car or something. It's just what it uses to move around, but to get back. Well, then that would be like saying the freeway is bad because this one car is a piece of crap, right? This one car is here to enslave you, so the freeway is bad. See, so the analogy, if we do it that way, would be the same. Let's not bring the car on the freeway. But it's not the tech that's bad. It's the implementation and the intent behind it. It's like any other thing. Nothing is bad inherently, or most things are not bad inherently, but the Bitcoin thing... They give away free at first. I think the first big example of here you have it for free and then we're going to take over the world is probably the, you know, the Bill Gates operating system. When was, when was Bitcoin free? Well, here's what I'm getting at. They put a big movie out years ago to try to start greasing the wheels, showing, oh, these people are making a fortune on Bitcoin and there's this race. And in the middle of the movie, regulation came to be. All of a sudden, you guys want to do Bitcoin and not go to jail, you got to get licensed. You got to get regulated. There's the end for the idea of Bitcoin at the moment of licensing, regulation, or anything of its like. The argument that somehow this is untrackable and un all the, no, it's regulated. The it's idea not. It, Bitcoin it is. is not regulated. It's not. And, and anyone who tries to shut off the uh, Bitcoin mining in China, China, that's the largest country in the world. And they said you cannot mine Bitcoin anymore. And it caused the price of Bitcoin to go up, not down. There's more adoption, not less. Which also means another thing. A, a currency without a stable value is manipulated. The stable value is the witness of people that know that CBDCs and that the entire government system is a fraud. There's your stability. It's in the witness of people that know that. What you're seeing from my point of view is no different than the OS for PCs. You give it away to everybody everywhere and it's free. It's a bit like goods and services. We all grew up having all these goods and services. Well, guess what? Now there's a cost for these goods and services. You want to come into this place, get a shot. You want to come into this place, put this, cover up your spirit, block your face, breathe your own exhaust fumes. This is no different. What you're seeing is the appearance of Bitcoin seemingly going to undermine all systems and somehow run under the current. And this is the free zone. And what the free zone does is it allows it to become mainstream. 
Once it is mainstream, I'll ask a simple question. Has there ever been a time when a central bank tolerated competition? Ever. There's been many times when central banks have been toppled because a new form of currency that was better overtook them. As far as I know, there have been central banks. We're not even using gold right now. So even the argument that gold is, is something stable is, is moot. There's, there's, not, there's not $1 in our pockets no, that's but based that's, on gold or right, silver. That's, that's because of, of central banking, though, the idea of supply and demand. And that's the antithesis. Yeah, and that's the antithesis of, of encrypted, personalized digital, digital currency, really. It's just the antithesis of that. Because you don't know, you don't know what's going to be Bitcoin tomorrow or the next day. Right now, there's something called pirate chain really popular way of, of exchanging the same thing. And the moment they come out and say, well, Pirate Chain's illegal now, it'll be called Pirate Chain 2 <laughs> and then Pirate Chain 3. That's what makes this infinite currency so much, uh, so, so debilitating uh, to a centralized state in that way, which is why the state is moving into other, other ways of controlling you via the environmental health, health accommodations. To me, that's a bit like saying, I have this car that you refuse to license, that you say isn't a car because it can't be approved, inspected, but I have this car and I'm going to go ahead and get on your freeway (laughs) to go where I want to go. And the special car I got that nobody can track, nobody can license. Isn't that about the same thing? The the reason why it's not is because it's on a different chain. Well, here's the thing though, is that, is that if I start a pirate chain, me and my person in Russia, we, we don't, we don't use any other chains. We have to build that chain from the ground up. These are projects like Cordal, these are all these independent projects that are like, we can't trust any of these fuckers. These guys are horrible. So, hey, I'm going to build this open source software. I'm going to show it to you. You look at it too. Let's create our own protocol in between us. And that's really what you're seeing. That's why there's like over 5,000 different currencies right now. And that's going to go up. It's not going to go down. It's going to go up. Let me ask a question then. So, okay. So let's assume that that was a spot on representation. Sounds like you know more about it than I do. But what happens when everyone has to use a passport to get on the internet? I think that you'll find that then, at that point, that we've already had decentralized internets that have been around for a while, private networks, basically, that allow us to communicate in different ways. That system will simply have to grow and become more organic and stronger. And the only thing that would make those systems grow would be penetration and, <laughs> and uh, persecution from the systems that are already there. So the new technology will be forced by the old technology trying to obliterate it, basically. This is a standard practice through, through war, through all kinds of technology, right? The big guy tries to take over for the little guy. Now, the bigger problem, in my opinion, is not actually blockchain. It is the fact that there are only two manufacturers that are making chips in the entire world right now. Exactly. That is not digital that's not, I mean, that's not digital currency. That's not blockchain. That's not crypto. This is just raw energy consumption power. This is in line with the environmental, the health, and the processing limitations that have had to be put in place because they have to let go of controlling the system through money. It's just going to be simply too hard for them to try and pull off. What you just pointed out shows the futility of everything we're talking about. So pretty soon there's one chip maker in the world. Everybody knows there's a back door into every computer because there was a law passed that said there had to be. And so here comes the problem. If everybody's got computers that were made by the central multinational corporation and they decide they don't like some function or another that goes on online, the chipset simply blocks you from doing it. Mm-hmm. That's one example that could be, but it gets much worse because we really only have one internet. If you want to look at it now, there's all these aspects of how we use it, how we get on, how hidden we can be. The idea of the dark net, but the same fact remains that that data is coming down the same lines in the same neighborhoods that was built by a corporation. And therefore that implies ownership. If you remember back to, I think it was the 70s, where what we called Ma Bell or Pacific Bell Telephone was told they couldn't have a monopoly anymore. They had to share their infrastructure. The same thing was done again with PCs when they embedded the browser into the operating system and wiped out Netscape and all these other browsers that were there. But the end result is the same each time. At the foundational level of usage, you have a multinational corporation that seems to be above or independent of the law uh, controlling how it's used, where it's used, and 
the basic tenet of this is a highway, we control the on-ramps. And so right. your idea of a chipset, that's, I mean, James, if you could get a heavier sledgehammer than you just swung with, I don't know what it would be because you're right. We are down to a couple chipsets made by a couple places. And everybody knows that back in the day, there was supposedly Apple stuff and PC that changed the moment Apple was supposedly going under Microsoft bought in something like 45% at the time. I forget what it was. And that line began to blur. And so how close are we to really one chipset right now? Right. The foundation for all computing. I think as as alternative internets are emerging, and they are, there's things like Echolink right now. It's like basically like a ham radio based internet. There's voice over IP that runs on ham radio too. So th- there are other alternatives, and certainly they it's it would be like trying to compare like Rockfin to YouTube, for example. It's, you're not going to compare those two, but that's because all the witness is in the older the the mainstream technology, and that's just that's part of what what being a pirate really means is you're utilizing other forms of communication that aren't nearly as robust, but will grow the more that, that they are suppressed. The chip thing is going to require, in my opinion, uh, an underground nation to basically form to go back to the Linux shell and develop its own uh, software. The good news about this is that thanks to the open source movement, most of those projects are already there and that they're going to be not that hard to port over to a different chipset. Plus, with reverse engineering, once these countries, or underground countries really what it is, once those people are able to start to emerge, I think you will see more competition, but it's never going to be something that we are ever going to find inside America, inside a mall. But I don't think that America is even really sustainable um, going forward the way it looks right now. That's why I think we're. That's why we're watching this really worldwide uh, eugenics program uh, playing itself out too. It's, this is all part of this natural, this nature world, this jungle that we're calling life right now. It's got some weird shit in it. I love the idea of the air age, and I'm going to close with a couple of ideas to further what James said about the couple of chips. You know, the the basis for all computing. Think about this. Places like BitChute said, we're not going to censor. You know what happened to them? They were told, if you want to get on the internet, you'll do what we say, or you'll lose your internet on-ramp. But I will further point out, all stuff is going online. The Photoshop that I used to make the episode images three days ago, I went to take a picture of some US currency to make one of my puzzle images, and a little window came up that said, you cannot edit pictures of money in this program. For the first time. And I said, oh, I can't. So you'll see money in my images because I hacked my way around it. I took a screenshot of everything. So it wasn't just money. I inverted it. So the colors were backwards. I cropped it, made what I wanted, inverted it back, and I slapped it in the document. But these are the low-level inklings. But anyway, how James, please tell people where they can get a hold of you. I've got a wrap hour one. Thank you so much. Uh, JTrue.com is my website. I've been kicked off YouTube too many times to give you that address. You can also find me on Rockfin. So... Thank you. There it is. And James, you do have an active account at Crow Triple Seven Radio. That's right. Okay. If you don't, if you ever expire, please ping me and I hope to see you in comments. But that does bring our one of 395 with Jason Lingren and James True to a close. You can get the full episode as a member at Crow Triple Seven Radio.com, C R R O W 777 Radio.com. And by the way, that is how we keep free speech alive. That's why we do it this way. That's coming off a private server for whatever it means, as long as it can be a protection of some sort. But we're coming. We're coming to new times. There's no doubt. Anyhow, join us on the other side for hour two of 395. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing. Come.